theyeshiva.net. What steps can a person take if they grow up in a home with a miserable marriage and they don't want to replicate that model? That's an important question. It's a very good question. The, the, all I could say is, very bekitzer, know how difficult it is. Meaning, instinctively, you may do exactly what your father did, or what your mother did, or you'll go to the other extreme sometimes. Sometimes good, and sometimes mamish to the other extreme. The be- best advice I can do is, I could say is, be aware of your patterns. Wa- almost watch yourself. Observe yourself. Because when you observe your patterns, you're already in control of them. You know, the most powerful thing is when you could see and say, wow, look at my response. Remember, if your parents had a miserable marriage, a lot of things are instinctively ingrained in you. Like, how do you respond? Almost not by choice. It's almost like instinctive. And that's why you're going to need extra work. But if you want, if you could become aware of it and share this with your spouse, and you may share, you know, sometimes your wife says something and it triggers you. You like, you almost go crazy. And it's really, you're imagining that she's your mother or she's your father. That's what happened. She said something. You're not hearing your wife. You're hearing your mother or your father. And that's where you're responding from. That's fine, as long as you're aware of it. If you're aware of it, you can watch it. You could control it. You can even, as I told you, you can hug it and respect it, as I told you before. And then you don't have to let it control it. And the more you do that, the more you'll be able to extricate yourself from that situation and create a different model for yourself. So it takes work, a lot of communication. You may need some help from somebody, which is perfectly fine, as I told you before. And the most important thing is that every morning when you dive into Hashem, you should ask Him for help that today you should be able to have a marriage based on what's good and what's exciting and what's joyous, not going into the default mode of just fighting, fighting all the time. Some people really don't know that marriages can be great. They think that it's destined to be miserable. And I feel very bad for them. And it's not true. You can have an awesome, even the old marriage seminars will tell you all the problems. <laughs> but the truth is, you talk about problems because you want, we should be able to prevent ourselves from those problems. Marriage can be very, very, not could be, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the opposite of loy taiv. You know, it's supposed to, you be able to wake up in the morning and say, thank God I have such a partner in my life. When you go to sleep, when you get up, but sometimes we need to work. So don't fear it. You're not destined to have the same marriage like your parents. With awareness and avoida and self-examination and communication, you will be able to be aware of it. And once you're aware of it, you're good to go. I'll mention something from Tanya. What's the Kayach of a Benini? He doesn't get rid of his Nefesh of Bahamas. Dr. Rebbe says he has Sveikas in Amunah, sometimes Perik Chavtes. He has Machshavas of Niuf. That's pretty ugly. Perik Chavzayin. So what makes him a Benini? Huh? He says that. What's the Kayach of One thing. He knows where it's coming from. That's it. He knows where it's coming from. It's not coming from my Nefesh kiss. It's coming from my Nefesh No, It's not coming from my wholesome self. It's coming from my broken self. The moment you know that, you already won most of the game. Because you could say, it's coming from my broken self, and I don't want to go there. I'm not going to let my broken self define my marriage. I will not. 
The moment you have that awareness, the problem is not that we have brokenness. The problem is when our brokenness becomes our wholesomeness. The problem is when you think The problem is when I think my trauma is healthy. You get it? That's the problem. When I know it's my trauma, I have brokenness in me and I got to deal with it. Okay, welcome to the club. Good morning, America. We all do. So what? When you, when you have that clarity, where it's coming from, then you could say, and now I'm going to choose to respond based on my values, not based on my brokenness. So that's what I would share with you very bekitzer. Our wives cannot take on responsibilities to make us happy. And you're not responsible to make her happy. We are responsible for our own lives. But when we trust each other, we make each other happy because I want to be here to support you and you want to be here to support me. My wife cannot be my mother. My wife is not my therapist. My wife is not my mashpia. You're not your wife's therapist or mother or mashpia. She is her. You are you. And I have to take responsibility for my problems and you have to take responsibility for your problems. But when we can... But we become so close. We're here for each other. I want to support you. I want to hear what's going on in your life. You want to hear what's going on in my life. But it's not that she's responsible to fix my problems. Nobody can fix your problems. You're the only one who can take stock of your life. Nobody, nobody can live your life for you, right? That's, it depends what the nature of the trauma. If you're dealing with deep stuff from your childhood, your, your spouse is going to have to be there to support you. If you don't feel that you have her support... It's going to be very frustrating. And if she doesn't feel you, she has your support, it's going to be very frustrating. She's not your therapist. She should get into it based on how much she could be here for you and how much you can be here for her. Certain, certain things, are, what do they say? It's not my, it's above my pay grade. You know, sometimes there are women who were raped. Okay, there are boys who were raped. It creates terrible trauma. You're not going to be able to, I don't mean nobody should have to deal with this, but I deal with it with people. You need top, top specialists. There's a real serious issues. You have people, and this is a very serious issue, who have mental illness. Mental illness is a different category. All the, all the seminars, workshops, them go out into the garbage. Because somebody's sick. They're sick. You know what I mean? If we're running, but somebody has a broken leg, and I could give here nine hours of lectures how to run, right? And we start running, but a person has a broken leg. It could lecture from today till tomorrow. A person is sick. Or a person has a very serious problem. All the lectures are meaningless. And you have to know this with yourself also. Sometimes you suffer things from childhood or adulthood and you have a problem. And no lectures in the world will help. You could be with the best people. They'll give you the most brilliant advice. Your leg is broken. Your leg is... But this is how you run. <laughs> There's no leg for heaven's sake. It's not about lectures. It's about very deep issues. And you have, just have to be aware of this. This is true with mental illness. It's true sometimes with very serious challenges. We cannot always deal with it on our own. Sometimes you need real help for this. But And if there is chas mental illness, mental illness is serious. Borderline personality, bipolar order. I don't know if you're familiar. Clinical depression. These are serious situations that people have. The worst thing is to blame yourself. It's not your fault. It's not like if you're going to be nicer. And if you grew up in a family with somebody with mental illness, you know they may be the best people in the world, but they have a chemical imbalance or a serious thing. And you cannot take responsibility for somebody else's illness. You can be here for them, 
but they have to be here for themselves. And the best thing people can do is say, I have a problem, I'm in a lot, a lot of pain, and it's not my husband's fault, or it's not my wife's fault. The moment I'm sick and I blame my husband and my wife, I become sicker. The moment I'm sick and I say, I'm sick, I need the help, and my husband is not the guilty one, then there's hope. There's only hope when when I can take responsibility for my, for my illness or whatever the situation I'm dealing with. That's a very good question. So you have to tread very carefully. If you are suspicious of a mental illness, yeah, you may want to deal with it, but you just have to know what's going on. It's very important to get full information, full disclosure, in terms of a psychiatrist that they have, they have seen or medications they're taking. You may decide to go with it. Remember, there are people, mentally ill people, sometimes have the greatest neshamas in the world. You should just know that. But, but, but it's a serious challenge. You have to do a lot of research before you meet. It's important. It's important families to do research if you have family support. And if there is something, it's important to find out the psychiatric diagnosis, the psychological diagnosis, the types of medications, the incidents that occurred, just to be informed. And then you could make a mature decision. There are people with mental illness who go to therapy every week, who go to psychiatrists, who take their stuff that they have to take, who exercise, who deal with it, and they're unbelievable people. In fact, some of the most creative people, it comes a lot of times. Zelu umazeh, you know. God doesn't give everybody, anybody free lunch in this world. Zelu umazeh comes with a peckle. So it's, it's, but it's important to be informed. And there's a famous book called Walking on Eggshells. There's basically later stages in marriage. There's husbands who found themselves walking on eggshells. Whatever they did, their wives exploded. Or whatever the wife did, the man exploded. There was a mental illness called borderline personality. When people are seeing patterns that, I could never please you, and I do one mistake, and I'm like, I'm like the worst criminal in the world. There's something wrong. There's something off. It's like something off. Now it could be a person was not mental illness. You know, a woman who was raped. I know a woman. She was raped by her father. A real monster. And every time her husband took off his belt to get, you know, to take off his clothes, she went crazy. She didn't see her husband taking off a belt. She was preparing for her father doing what he did. You understand? Her husband didn't know this. Imagine he's taking off his belt at night to go to take off his pants. And his wife goes blank and freaks out and runs out of the room. So right, obviously, this is not a regular disagreement, you know. It's, it's, there's something serious going on, and we just have to take note of these things and be very aware. Of course, you always want to know before these types of stuff. Because afterwards, you know, it's sometimes much more difficult, especially if there's a child. But these types of things, you want to know before. And they're serious. They're every, things are treatable. People can deal with challenges. Hashem gives people to deal with challenges. But you just have to make mature and very serious decisions about this. Here's another question. We often speak about the importance of shalom bayis, the importance of love language. What happens when two spouses relate to very different love languages? What speaks to one doesn't speak to the other. One feels close when going for a walk and spending time. Doesn't enjoy physical touch or gift. The other enjoys the latter. What is the key to bridging the gap between giving your spouse what they need in the relationship to feel fulfilled and making sure your needs are met in caring and compassionate way? I apologize for the long question, but want to make sure it's understood. Good. That's the first sign that you're good, whoever asked this question. 
Thanks so much for making this program a reality. You're welcome. The answer is, your question is your answer. That's Ezek and Love languages are different. Some of us love words of affirmation. I'm sure some of you sitting in this room, it means a lot to you when somebody compliments you. Some of us don't care much about that. But we love spending time. We love gifts. We love acts of sacrifice. We love touch, acts of service, etc. That's the important, the important thing is learning about the other person's love language and being there for them precisely because it's not your own love language. So let's take an example of taking walks. Spending time and taking a walk is something many, many women cherish tremendously. Remember, you may be lucky and your kala may have four love languages, which will give you a lot of avoid, or may have all five, or may have two or three. But let's take an example of taking walks. There's usually one of the parties that love spending time. And that becomes a very important, beautiful aspect of a marriage. You should be taking a walk once a day, or three times a week, or four times a week, for 45 minutes without a phone. Very, very important to spend time. By the way, not only mitzad love languages, especially the first few years, but always... You need to put oil into the menorah every day and every hour. You have to spend time with each other. Not have to. You want to spend time with each other. Spending time does not mean shopping, even though that's also spending time. Spending time is not Costco and Home Depot. Spending time is not going to the cleaners and doing an error, even though that's spending time. For men, that's called spending time with each other. For women, it usually doesn't count uh, because it's a different, it's a different language usually. But spending time is very important. It's a very good idea to take walks as often as possible. I would say once a day, twice a day. First of all, it's good for the exercise, metabolism, and the body. But don't take your phone with you unless it's an emergency urgent. It can even be 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And don't speak necessarily about practical things. Just you connect. Your shmoo is about life. Like like two friends. You could speak about the weather. You could speak about... uh, the outdoors, you can speak about whatever you want, but it's just like connecting. Uh, and generally, I would, I would suggest this very, very strongly, because that way you get to know each other, you connect. And by the way, even deep into your marriage, years from now, you'll both be busy, very busy, and the Be'ezer Hashem have big, beautiful mishpachas. It's critical that couples spend time with each other, just to ear things out, just to connect, just to bond. Remember what I'm telling you, people may not tell this to you, Five years, ten years, twenty years, three times a week, forty minutes, thirty minutes, fifty minutes, without the phone, or then it's not going to be a phone anymore. Without the robot in your pocket, without the private jet in your pocket that helps you fly, leave that at home and just take a walk. This is I'm talking in a couple of years. You can have in your pocket something. You'll press it and you'll fly and you'll go to your shalim for a day and you'll come back. So uh, maybe that's the pshat. Whoops. So I would say that in generally languages of love, you don't have to have the same language of love. That's what you're talking about. What do you appreciate? What type of touch do you appreciate? What type of physical touch do you appreciate? Learn about the other person and, uh, and try to nurture it. That could be very, very meaningful. And if you make mistakes, that's also fine. You learn, you learn from mistakes. How does one handle deep-seated differences of opinion because we have different upbringings. Issues I thought were minor footnotes have ballooned into much bigger problems, and despite my best efforts to minimize them, they keep on coming up. Context. The first time I've ever heard of anti-vaccination movement was my wife. 
and her family. They're big proponents of anti-vaccines, many of other alternative medicines. I grew up with a much stronger belief in modern medicine. I also had a serious illness as a teenager and was saved by cutting-edge medicine. That's a good question. That's a very good question. My answer to you is... <laughs> Back to Eze Kinegda, right? You have to learn how to live with your differences. This is part of marriage. There will be different opinions... And this is where the art of compromise comes in. You need to educate yourself with the other person's view. They have to educate yourself with your view without demonizing them. Right? What's one of the values of learning Gemara for 17 years is learn how to constantly disagree <laughs> without demonizing each other. You ever saw a Baya turn to Rava and say, you're such a Meshugana. You're such a sick person for holding that you, Shaloi Midas, yeah, has this Hagdada. You ever saw, yeah, Rabbi Yosef turning to the Pshashis and say, your mom is a criminal, an apikaitis, a koifa be'iker. Who trained you? You ever saw even Beis Hillel turn to Beis Shammai and say, you're the despicable people of the Jewish world. Never. They argue about alts. Deiraisis, Dirabonan, Koris, Arayis, Misabadei Shammayim. Serious things. But always with respect. Not that I agree with you. I will fight you. That's what you learned 17... Why do you learn this for 17 years? So you should be able to get married. <laughs> Every page, how many debates are there? Non-stop. Why? You could learn to debate with respect. How? Limutschus. Don't attribute to your spouse bad motives. I don't have to think my wife is a meshugana, a a nefesh, a narcissist with a tzedreta mother and father and mishpacha just because they have very different opinions about things. Instead, you may be right, you may be wrong, you may be 50%. Learn about another person. Learn their views and they have to, they have to learn about your views. And then you learn to come. This argument is going to come up sometimes where to send the kids to school. Whether to stay on this shlichus or not to stay on that shlichus. What type of house to live in. Which community to live in. What to do with a child who may have a certain situation, right? To go this way, to go that way. Vaccinations. Very good question. I'm not here to give a psak din on any of this and say, you're right, your wife is right. Because it happens constantly in a, in a thousand cases. Educate yourself about the other opinion. Share and together you come to some type of conclusion which usually entails... Some compromise. Sometimes it's kaila shatayim re'elach asara shma b'kaila. Sometimes not. The Gemara says about Metziah that I used to write it in letters that mila da alma, right? Mila da alma, but that a chlal it's kedai too. Listen to the wife. Start to fight about colors of couches and wallpaper and what the apartment should look like. It's a passage for younger man. <laughs> you have to learn how to compromise. But here you're dealing with a serious issue, like the medical situation of your child. You have to really... Now, you have to understand one thing when it comes to medicine. A mother experiences the brunt of a child's health. Mothers and children have a connection that is, as you know from your own mother, she still thinks you're in her womb. 
which is probably texting you, you know, how you doing, my baby, and v'chuli v'chuli. So uh, mothers and children are very, very close. And even if they're far and they have issues, it's because they're so close. <laughs> so it's just... Uh, with a mother, it's very, very sensitive. So even though you believe in conventional medicine, and conventional medicine saved your life, it's just important just to be mavatal her and her whole family, I don't think is going to be effective for your shalom bias. But you should share with your wife your opinions of conventional medicine. You should share with your wife how it saved your life. And generally, I think everybody can understand that the pro-vaccine camp and the anti-vaccine camp went a little far in this whole debate. Meaning, to say that vaccine is the greatest evil that ever happened to society is a shtus. Because it saved and saves millions of lives. We know that people are not dying today at 40, and most kids are surviving childhood. On the other hand, and I'm saying this from a very big doctor who doesn't, who's very, very objective. He said, on the other hand, Vaccination has to be done with responsibility. And when somebody denies that there's ever, ever a negative effect, it's equal stus. There's, there's a need to be sensitive what the child is. So the best thing is to be able to have one or two doctors or physicians or healers who you trust, who are real experts. And you come to some type of Eimek You know, remember, this vaccinating slow there's vaccinating not all the vaccines, but bas achas. There's some vaccines that are not as critical and necessary as other vaccines. V'chuli, v'chuli. There's ways of dealing with it. These are things you work out together in a respectful, in a respectful way. And it's just a dogma for many others, yeah? Some, some mothers will, some wives will tell their husbands, on my dead body, on my dead body, and, and, and this, is where, this is where we need Torah. This is where we need Torah. Sometimes a mother will say, on my dead body, this will not be happening to my child. Right? Okay. If the mother has chas v'shalom, an illness, she's toit meshiga, then there's a different answer that has to be dealt with. But if you're dealing with a Bini Yaseridika mother who has a Mahalach, who has mysterious nefesh for her children, who's a smart cookie, like many women, right? In many, many of the cases, unless it's an issue of Pikuach Nefesh, I think it's important for husbands to very much respect their wives. Again, if she's a crazy woman, Khalila, and she's just abusive, we're not talking about that, but to mean a mother who takes care of her kids and she runs a house, and the kids are taken care of, and she's, remember, they're there with their kids 24 hours a day, emotionally and physically, and they have a mahalach, and they have a perspective, and they're responsible, so there's no need to get a get for this, that's my point. Sometimes, you have to say, you know what, just like in Mila da Alma, these things, concerning the health of children, Usually a mother comes first. Again, unless there's a serious situation of pikuach nefesh or a serious defiance of, of real medical advice and so forth. But sometimes you have to know when to back off. There's no, what are you, you going to do? Are you going to get a get for this? It's going to be much more damaging for children to grow up in a home where the parents are killing each other than to grow up in a home where the parents are respectful of each other. When there's a house where the father and mother are living in two separate worlds... It's really, really not good for a child. You just know that. 
It's very, very special for a child, very important to grow up in a home, even if there's a disagreement, but there's, there's connection. They feel that father and mother are on the same page, because if not, they feed off. A lot of problems that children have is the subconscious hate that their parents have to each other. You should know that. Sometimes parent, kids will hate a father because the mother hates him subconsciously. Or they'll hate a mother because the tati hates the country, and they're feeding off it. So it's much more important to have some type of achtus, even if it's if it's not so easy to get there, than to fight in the name of kanos. When it comes to questions like Lemude Chayel, I don't know how to answer it better than saying the parents have to each discuss their opinions with somebody with, with each other and reach some type of conclusion and compromise and come to the same page. If they can't do it on their own, they have to choose a third person or two people who they trust. Uh, a, a Rav, a Rebetzin, a Mashpia, a therapist, uh, a, 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 a thinker, uh, a, somebody that they both respect, somebody who, and, and they could discuss it with, they could discuss it with a person. Like Alman Yisrael. If there's mamish nobody in the world that they could discuss it with, that would be very strange. And, and if you're dealing with two healthy people, they can each bring up their perspective. Why do you think this school would be better for your kids? Yeah, Is it a psychological issue? Is it an emotional issue? You have to go and get the help you need for this child and figure out what would be the best thing. And then ultimately, listen to your own soul, to your own neshama, and really feel what's better for a child. But very, very often when it comes to children, mothers have a very acute feeling of what children need. And it has to be respected very deeply. What do they used to say? Mama knows best? Not always. But very often the mama, you know, mothers are just very sensitive to their children's needs. And if they're normal and healthy people, they should often follow their instincts. They may know things. And even if everybody says, nah, it's fine. I see it constantly. Mothers say, you know, this school is not good for my kid. They pull them out. And it turns out the kid, it was really, they were right. Are they always right? No, they're not always right. But generally you have to take very serious, very serious, uh, a feeling, an opinion of a mother who's healthy and cares, cares about her child. In my opinion. <laughs> my wife may disagree, but... Uh... <laughs> I've heard from a respected mashpia, Rabbi Manas Friedman as well as other experienced married men, that the healthiest and most successful relationships is where the men and the women's roles are extreme and face value. A man is only a mashpia, not a makabal at all. A woman is only a makabal, not a mashpia at all. These extremes roles would dictate how they practically relate and act with one another. I was under the impression that a man is generally a mashpia, but sometimes a makabal. A woman is generally a makabal, sometimes a mashpia. The latter seems like a far more healthy relationship, a more accurate understanding of practical chsidus, which is correct. I've heard from Rabbi Manus Friedman also that the way we conduct ourselves during conception in the bedroom has direct relationship on the psychological and spiritual health of the children, the levushim, that come from it to the point where this should result in practical anxiety and fear regarding intimacy that we do it according to Allah and Kabbalah. Isn't this about conception supposed to be more theoretical than practical? Wouldn't this be a very unhealthy mindset to have around intimacy? Sounds good. Could you explain your concept of what's Yeah. Okay. I, I, I can't take responsibility for what other people say. I don't know exactly what they said. So, I, you know, 
when it comes to quotes, whatever they said, they said, I don't know what they meant, what they implied, sometimes things are taken out of context. I think when we speak about a husband as a mashpia and a makabal, there's no such a thing, you're only a mashpia, you're only a makabal. There's no, there's no source for that anywhere. Every mashpia is a makabal, every makabal is a mashpia. Even your makabal sometimes by being mashpia, and your mashpia sometimes by being makabal. Besides the fact that everyone is always, in, in Kedusha, this is skalalus, right? There's no, a mashpia is also a makabal, a makabal is a mashpia. Everyone gives and everybody takes. The question is, as you're right, is what's your central role? I think, at least on one dimension, the idea of mashpia and makabal is a woman loves, women like and respect very much men who are leaders, men who are masculine. Meaning, you take a stand, you're a leader, you make decisions, you own your life, you take responsibility, and you you protect your wife. You know how men in the olden days, you protect your wife like a lion protects the territory. Women cherish that. Men who are not necessarily aggressive in a, in a negative way, but men who are men. <laughs> You know, they're not spineless, indecisive shmatas. Even simple examples. Your wife should never wake up before you in the morning. You gotta be up. You gotta be up. There's no such a thing. She wakes up six o'clock to go teach in a preschool in Long Island and do kratz to charois, 10.30. <laughs> then you check the websites for two hours. Then not get in the mikveh. Yeah, then you go to Mermelstein for lunch, and then you go to the last minion for Shachris at 2.30 afternoon, and then you come home for her dinner, right? And then 7 o'clock, she's like, I'm so tired. And you're like, why are you tired? You just came out, you just finished Shachris. You just finished Jemina Tamayat. That's not a melech. That's not a prince. This is a lady gay. Yeah, that's not a mashpia. That's not a mashpia. A teacher, mashpia, doesn't come late to the class and then sits on the floor. You take responsibility. You take a stand. And you're there to... to, to, to you're present. Hashem made that a woman has a rechem, a womb. And that womb, every month, creates a uterus, a keli for a baby. If a baby comes in, great. And if a baby doesn't come in, the keli dissolves and it bleeds. That's dam nida. Why is there dam nida? Because every month, the uterus forms to hold a baby. If it doesn't happen, for whatever reason... Maybe she's not married, or even if she is married, it dissolves, it breaks. Because there's no baby, and the blood comes out. That's what Damnid is. Rechem, womb, comes from the word Rachem, compassion. That's the Makabal. When it says a woman is a Makabal, it's not a Pizanatzilis. It's very practical. She's a Makabal, she's waiting. And the husband fills that up. I mean, spiritually. I mean, you become the baby in the, in the Rechem, although that sometimes happens. You want to be the baby. But you, you fill up. Now let me tell you something in life, very interesting thing. Uh, some of you may relate to this in an interesting way. Sometimes a teacher, I could say this as a teacher, sometimes a teacher shows up and I'm pumped up. I have my shear, I have my message, and I'm ready. There's nobody there. Or even if they're there, they're texting. Even if they're texting, they're not texting, they're sleeping. And even if they're not sleeping, they're chewing gum. Right? And I'm frustrated. Why? Because it's like, I have what to give, nobody showed up. So I go home, and the milk is spilling from all sides, because nobody came to get it. That's painful. 
But there's something much more painful. What's more painful? The student shows up and he creates a rechem. He empties himself out from everything. And he's open to hear. And open means he was mevatel. He took everything out of his system just to hear. And who doesn't show up? The teacher doesn't show up. That's much more painful. You know why? Because what happens when the student doesn't show up for me? I'm frustrated because it's all inside. I didn't have an opportunity to give it. But there was no mysterious nefesh. I go home. I'm frustrated. Eat some carbs and go to sleep. Sick. Fine. Tomorrow will be a better day. But when the student comes and emptied everything out, that's an akud of mysterious nefesh of bittel. Why? Because I was trusting you and you didn't show up. You know what that feels like? Feels like death. That's Thomas Nidus, seven days. It's like Thomas May, seven days. Ah, very deep. Thomas Mays. No, but you understand, that's Mashpia Metabol. Mashpia means you need to fill your wife. Fill her with what? With your presence. When your wife has pain, when your wife has difficulty, be there. When you give your wife a hug, physically or emotionally, that's what you're doing. You're carrying her. You're filling her. And a real wife, the Gemara says, Ain Isha Koireses Bris, Ella, Lemisha Sarkeli. A woman makes a covenant, a bris, she gives herself over to the person who made her a keli, meaning to the person who, the first bia intimacy, which breaks the psulim and makes, makes her a keli to be able to have a child. There's a krisis bris. Fascinating chazal. What does this mean in ruchnis? A mashpia means a woman is going to, if you are a real husband, she will be a real wife. A real wife will open herself up and there will be an emptiness waiting for you to take charge and fill it. Don't drop the ball. (laughs) Don't run away. You may have difficulty. You may have pain. You could share that. But don't run away to China emotionally. That's the idea of Mashpia Makabal. I don't think it means that you're not a Makabal. A husband or wife once came to me. And what's the problem? The problem is he never listens to her. I tell him why. I ask him why. He says, because it says in Chesudas, I'm a mashpia. She's a makabal. Chesudas a mashpia, listen to a makabal. I'm like, O-M-G. <laughs> a mashpia is a deeper makabal than a makabal. <laughs> a mashpia means you're tuned into the makabal. You're a deeper makabal than a makabal. You, you fill her up means you, you make her... You make her feel she's not alone. You make her feel she's not alone. There's somebody here. There's somebody with her. I'm with you. You're not alone. That's the Iker. And it expresses itself in everything. It expresses itself in money. It expresses itself in the Ksuva. It expresses itself in a flower. It doesn't express itself in buying an extra piece of schnitzel for her. That works for Bachar. I was thinking about you. I brought schnitzel. For us, yeah, schnitzel, potato, kugel, that's called thinking about me. She's not going to appreciate schnitzel. Better one little piece of chocolate than uh, 20 schnitzlach, because they have too much oil in them. Your second question about intimacy is, chas v'shalom, that in the bedroom you should be anxious and overwhelmed, that you're not doing it right, and your kids are going to be ruined. It's the opposite of everything. Yiddish guide wants that a husband and a wife should enjoy themselves in Ruchniyas and in Gashmias. In simple English, you have to be able to have a great time together. This is not bad, this is holy. The Ramban says it's Kodesh Kadoshim of Yiddishkeit.
It's a sacred thing. It's a holy thing. The specifics, you may want to sometimes talk to somebody about it. You figure it out with each other. You sometimes experiment. You talk about it. That's where trust comes in. But it's very, very crucial. It's the glue of a marriage. The private time you have together. It's the glue. It's supposed to be enjoyable, exciting, fun, uplifting. It's a very special time. No need for anxiety. God is not a sadist. (laughs) Don't worry about it. You're going to have beautiful children. And halacha is not about destroying sexuality. Halacha is about maximizing sexuality. Making sure it's real, it's deep, it's internal, it's eternal. Shukadar doesn't come and say, okay, let's ruin their lives as much as possible. Where can I really mix in and really destroy this? It's like too much fun in Judaism. It's the opposite. Any Hagbala and Shulchanaruch about intimacy is for one reason. In a violin, if the strings are not tied, no music. Whenever there's a limit in halacha, it's simply to bring out a deeper enjoyment, a deeper relationship. Including Taras HaMashpacha, including Mikvah, including the separation during the, the, the menstruation and during Damnida that I spoke about. They're sometimes frustrating. You come home, you're, you're frustrated. That's true. But if you have a little bit longer vision, you'll see the benefits for intimacy. Now, very important, there's a difference between Halacha, Minhig, Chumra and Meshagas. Okay? Not everybody has to do every minute. When you have a chasen teacher, a kala teacher, it's important to know what's halacha and what's a minute of some people. Not everybody is ready for menhagim. I'm sorry. Much more important for me, for Hashem, I think, that a chasen and kala have a good relationship and exciting time, than that they follow every minute and every chumra. You have to be ready for chumras. If a chumrah is taken away from the marriage, it's not a chumrah that you want to do. You all know the Rebbe's Chiddush, why Yaakov didn't marry two why Yaakov could marry two sisters even though he did the whole Torah. You know the Rebbe's Chiddush? You don't know. Oh, you sight for marriage. Because he promised Rachel what? He's going to marry her. To violate a promise could go into one of the Shavu Mitzvahs B'nai Noyach. Not to marry two sisters before Matan Torah is a Chumrah. You can't do your own Chumrah on somebody else's Cheshbon. The Hest? You don't want to marry two sisters before Matan Torah because But you can't ruin a woman's life because of it. You have to know the difference. There's a Halacha. You know the story with the Friedrich Rebbe with the Moiridik. Also Gavaldik for marriage. Once upstairs in 770, there was a yid, he was not a chabatzke, and he dipped the matzah into, uh, into barsht. Into barsht. And you know the Bokram saw, you know when Lubavitcher Seeger brucks, what happens? Cardiac arrest. <laughs> right? So they like, go crazy! The matzah! <laughs> they were screaming at the poor guy. So the freak asked him, Shmuel of it, and my uncle, What's the panic over there? So he finds out, and he says, the guy dipped the matzah in and burst. So they said, they're giving him a chalik. So the Rebbe Rayat said, the Yiddish, Besser I write a matzah, we are writing upon him. 
much better a red matzah than a red face. Now this doesn't mean that a chassid is not nizering a brocht. A chassid is very nizering a brocht. But it means you have to have seichel. You gotta have perspective. You don't you don't say, if you have gebrocht, I'm sorry, you don't say that. There's perspective. You understand? You have to have perspective in marriage. Not that gebrocht is important. If you're a chassid, we don't need gebrocht. Not a question. But the Rebbe himself is the best I write to Matzvah, I write to him. That's how you, you're going to embarrass the guy and make him feel like like uh, so very important in the bedroom there's halacha what Torah says yeah what Torah says not that you don't compromise you don't compromise because that's negeah for everything that's negeah for your own happiness also not just in there's minhagim there's chumras there's tamashagasin it's important to know it's important to know Generally, the halacha allows most things. <laughs> halacha allows most things. You know why? God wants couples to have a very, very happy time together. There's no need for any anxiety. You follow what Torah says, and you're there to make your wife happy, she's there to make you happy, and you'll have beautiful children. What does Hashem do for Shalom by Asaita? You remember? Hashem Nimchik. No, is that a Chiddush thing to erase a name? It's worse than Gebrakt. Mechikas Hashem is a serious issue. Now, I'm not saying to break Halach. I'm not saying. Because that's not going to be helpful for the marriage to break Halach. Say, yeah, she's a nidah, who cares? You don't do that. You're not doing anybody a favor, not her, not yourself. Now it may be fun, but already tomorrow you're going to regret it. But there's a difference between an isakaris and a chumrah, or a minig. Big difference. A minig, by definition, is something you embrace with love, not with force. That's the whole yisoyed of a minig. Right? It says Minig Yisrael Torah. Who Taisva says a Menachas. It also says Minig Oisius Gehenim. Which one? It's true. Depends if it's my Minig or your Minig. <laughs> if it's my Minig, it's Torah. If it's your wife's Minig, it's Gehenim. The truth is, it depends what it's um, what type of Minig. If it's a Minig to get closer to Hashem and closer to another person, it's Torah. And if it's a Minig to become OCD. And become more miserable and make everybody miserable, then you're already in Gehenna. Minhig Oisius Gehenna. Minhig Gehenna. Back to what I started with an Ishara. Hashem Nimchik Lasses Ben Shalom Leishta. That's a halacha. Heard itself says that, look, this week, last week, Hashem told the Sada something that wasn't completely true, right? Why? Sardis said, my husband is an old man. And Hashem said, what? I'm an old man. We are very sensitive to Shalom bias, yes. But that doesn't mean that if your wife doesn't, a man doesn't want to be careful in Tarsim Mishpacha, so you say, Nidahin, Nidahin, Shalom bias. That's not going to be Shalom bias. 
It's like pouring kerosene on a fire because, oh, there's liquid, liquid, Abi, it's liquid. It's not going to help the fire. A wife lost a loved one and it's during the time of our chakas. Is it okay to hug her and put a hand around her? This question you bring up with your personal, competent, orthodox rabbi. Generally speaking, I'll just say, if you have a good relationship with your spouse, it doesn't start when she loses a loved one. There's a good relationship. And then, usually every man and woman, if they have a bisal Yerushalayim, they'll understand. But generally speaking, when you have a relationship, so then I, a, a, mother, a woman is giving birth. It's very nice to hug her then, but right, it doesn't work. Yerushalayim helps a marriage very much. You know why? Because when you respect God, you respect each other. And you also have respect for something that transcends yourselves. You respect the marriage. Why does the secular world have so many divorces? Why is there 50% divorce in the secular world? Some places 80, some places 50, 60. Why is it? It's just because women are afraid to get divorced. It's just because men are afraid to get divorced because stigma. So it should be a smaller percent, maybe. But not such a big disparity. So people always say, yeah, because women are terrified in your communities. Come on, you know the women. <laughs> There's a reason for it. The reason is because when you grow up with Yiddishkeit, marriage is sacred. That's a Yiddish Yisoyed. Marriage is holy, it's Kaidish Kadash. Sometimes does it come to an end? Yeah. But it's Kaidish Kadash. You have Mr. Snefish for a marriage. It's Kaidish Kadash. We respect the institution of marriage. Absolutely, unequivocally, as a divine institution, something holy. When I see you, if somebody is calling you, and I go in, and you're in the middle of Shmanasra, I don't stop you. I wait till you finish Shmanasra. Why? Because you're talking to God, they don't stop you. When you see a couple connecting to each other, interfering them is like interfering Shmanasra. Something sacred. That's why it's very important not to say anything to somebody that can affect their marriage negatively. Be very careful. Which, by the way, just advice. Never speak to your wife against her parents, even if you really don't like them. It's juicy. And your mother says, my mother is such a weirdo. So you're like, yeah, tell me about it. Beyond the weirdo. I'm a shigina, she said, whatever. Tomorrow, she's still your mother's mother, your wife's mother. She's not yours. Just be careful. Support your wife, but don't like, you know, even if you have issues to share, respect. I don't know if that's really what she wants from you. She knows your mother much better than you. She knows her mother much better than you. That depends on context. You want to support her. Sometimes you have to ask your wife. Sometimes a challenging question. You know, maybe you could look at it this way. You know, just do it with uh, <coughs> do it with sensitivity. Remember, there may be issues in her and her mother that are deeper than what you may imagine. Yeah. No, it says in Tanya, Patek Beis, it comes from Kabbalah. The machshavas of parents have an effect on the levushim. The Alter Rebbe says, not on the neshama, but on the levushim. So that means that what should your machshavas be? Your machshavas should be, I really appreciate this woman, I really appreciate this man, I want to connect to this person. And that's a beautiful thing. When, when a couple is enjoying each other, that is Kedusha, that's my point. Those are unbelievable machshavas. Okay, then there's the, what is discussed to, 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 you know, the, the, 
different inyanim that I discussed about the machshavas then. But don't think Kedusha means that you're not thinking about your wife. <laughs> People think Kedusha means, yeah, you close your eyes and you start thinking about a Fabrengan Thursday night with egg salad <laughs> when they were talking about something. Hapam yilove ishi elai. That's how I started the shir. The, tab- the taboo, there's a the healthy element and an unhealthy element. Kodesh HaKadoshim nobody went into. It's a secret. But it's not a bad secret. It's a good secret. Not because we're embarrassed. Because it's too holy. You don't go into Kodesh HaKadoshim. Intimacy is sacred. We don't speak about it not because we're ashamed. That's the mistake of people. There's two types of taboos in life. There's a taboo because that's like bad, nasty stuff. We don't go there. You know, we talk about Lakshan Kugel. And then there's inyanim that are just very deep. They're secrets. It's like why it says Kabbalah wasn't revealed. The Alter Rebbe speaks about the Evan, right? The, the gem and the stone of the king that wasn't this generation that was rubbed and, and given. In other words, intimacy is so sacred. It's so mysterious. It's, it's not meant to be a radio show. It's not meant to be a public conversation. Not because we're embarrassed, but because it takes away its power. Its power is privacy, exclusivity. It's Kodesh HaKadoshim. The Kohen Gadol goes there. That's the idea. People misunderstand it and think it's taboo because it's like, it's really bad stuff, but men are nebach animals. So like, God, okay, be an animal for five minutes and then become a mensch. That's a Christian concept. That's a Christian concept. That's not a Jewish concept. The Gemara Masech de Brachas, it's a little bit of a strange story, but you could look it up. Reb Kahana decided that he has to see how Rav behaved, and he hid under the bed, and he saw that Rav had a, a very enjoyable time. Like, Rav was the God of Hadar. It was like the Tzadik Hadar. He like, it was Lebedek of He finishes, he comes out of the bed. Rav says, Shalom Very nice to have you. What are you doing here? You know what he answers? <laughs> Nobody wants to teach us. Whoever I talk to, taboo, 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 taboo. It's not chassidish. <laughs> it's not Jewish. He hid under the bed. Now, why does the Gemara tell the story, I ask you? First of all, he's saying, There's no chalik by us that's not part of Torah. It's not like Torah shul, davening, learning. The Yiddish God, everything is Torah. Sexuality is Torah, love is Torah, intimacy is Torah, romance is Torah, roses is Torah, having a good time. Alt is Torah. That's the whole Yisoyed of everything. Hashem is not a person in the heaven. Godliness is everything. Kedusha is everything. Depends on how you look at it. That's the first you said. Second you said is, what's the Torah? Torah is that Rav had a very, very meaningful, inspiring time. Why? Because he was such a tzaddik. The greater, the greater Yidin who are more, more Jewish have a better time in the bedroom than people who are not. You know that. Much better. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I've spoken to, I've been around the block. People who are, to use Lubavitch line, people who are chassidish Yidin have a, people who have Avas Hashem, Avas Atayr, Avas Yisrael, Yerushalayim have a better time in the bedroom than other people. Because there's two types of bedroom experiences. One is, I want one thing and one thing only. It's called physical pleasure. How long does that last for? Not very long. 
when you're really connected to somebody, when you trust that, when you trust somebody, then it's physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's psychological. Two people become one. The pleasure is not like this. It's ongoing. It builds on itself. It continues by day. It continues by night. It's a holistic experience. As I said before, the more bittle you have, the more connection you can have to another person, the more, the more engaging it is. Also, the more trust there is. When a woman doesn't trust her husband fully, she's not going to be able to have a good time. You know that. She will not relax. She's going to be tense, and it drives men crazy. How does a woman trust her husband? Women trust husbands who you could trust. What type of husband can you really trust? A husband who has Yerushalayim. You can't trust men otherwise. <laughs> right? You know that. No, this, this is very, very serious stuff, I'm telling you. Very deep stuff. It says in Torah that there's two ways of relating to Hashem. Ponem b'ponem and achar b'achar. Ponem means face-to-face. Achar means back-to-back. And he explains, in life, you could see Kedusha in everything. You could find Hashem in everything. That's the whole Chassidus, the whole Yisrael of Chassidus. And then you could just be like a robot. You put on tefillin, but you're not excited. You don't have an exciting relationship. That's Akhir Ba'akhir. Like, it's like you're connected to your wife, but you're not interested. Yeah, yeah, you take out the garbage, but you don't care. A meal takes three minutes. You're not interested. You put on tefillin next. There's no, there's no passion. There's no romance. And then he speaks about intimacy. He says, not like those people who think that it's a disgusting thing. No, it's a toast. Dover Godel Hulamata Vagamla Maila. Intimacy is an awesome thing down here, and even Lamaila in all of the higher spiritual worlds is a Gavaldika thing. And there was a Yid who wrote to the Rebbe that he stopped having intimacy with his wife. Because he wants more kedusha, and the Rebbe wrote, "Ein teira oy, daft What it is not only lamata but also lamaila. That maimer the Rebbe used. When I saw that answer, I knew the maimer because I taught the maimer. I'm like, wow. <laughs> the Rebbe knew teira and look at the teira and a mishunadik away, like Ashley. I'll call upon him. Then he goes on. Ella, so how should he do it? Kilu kafri shed. So what is schizophrenia? Like a demon forces you. But this is how you have to understand all these my modern. And it's often misunderstood. Ke'ilu kafei shed means, he, first he says it's a davar gadol. Then he says there's kedusha in everything. And then he says ke'ilu kafei shed. The pshat is, the pshat is like this. What does the word ke'ilu kafei shed mean? Hilakafer shed literally means a shed for a shed forces him. So what was that supposed to mean? So you should walk in and you should call your wife a shed, yeah, and you should say since you like a shed and you're forcing me. <laughs> What's the havana here? We can learn, what like what? How how are people even explaining it? How are people even understanding it? And they think that's a recipe for shalom bai that's going to give you good children. The vartis punkt farket. The vart is that it's so holy, it's so holy, it's so sacred, it's so beautiful. The fact that a person can have sometimes an union of selfishness that comes into the picture, that should be Kilo Kafisha. 
It was somebody who once went on shlichus. So he asked the Rebbe that he has a big ego. And he's afraid that the ego is going to become bigger. So the Rebbe said, so smitnem in the Yetzirah of shlichus. Take with you Yetzirah of shlichus. I don't want you to do things that you hate. Take with, it's far. The Yetzirah will also gain. So in every person, there's karuvas toivera. You could be with your spouse. There's an element of, of holiness, of idealism, of positive enjoyment, of, of holy enjoyment. The Ramban says, Kaidish Kadosh. There's also another element. There's also another component that could, could get mixed in. So in, 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 in a worked out person, a worked out person, that element, he says, Kilu Kafisha. But not that the whole Indian is a negative Indian. He's not contradicting himself in the mind. Is it okay for a Lubavitcher to date a girl from a non-Lubavitch background? For example, a Besyakov girl. <laughs> it's a very good question. My answer is going to be very brief and straight. In principle, it's, it's okay. In fact, after the war, <laughs> almost everybody did that. But one has to know the boy and the girl well before giving an opinion about this. In other words, so many factors have to be taken into consideration. Just to say it's a good idea or a bad idea is a very foolish answer. Like you have to know the boy, you have to know the girl, their background, where they're coming from, what their views are. It's just to give a general answer I don't think is, is fear. And it's very vital that the two people share values and they share priorities and also personal chemistry. And they have to be on a similar page when it comes to vital things in life, like children and living and style of living and type of home, and even questions of small questions, but they could turn into big fights. I'll give two examples. Is the family going to the oil on Erev Rosh Hashanah? Just an example. For one person, it's absolutely all the kids are going. The other person says, no, they're, they're not. A, why? That could become a big fight. Whose pictures are on the walls? I know of a couple, it's a funny story. She's, uh, she's a Lubavitch, he's not. But she was very, very not Lubavitch, you know. She like left. And he put out a picture of the wall of a certain Rosh Hashiva. Okay, I'm not going to give names. He put on the wall, because for him, uh, and she, you know. You know, Lubavitch, as fry as they are, certain things, you trigger them and they'll kill you, right? So she freaked. She freaked. I'm getting divorced. They came to me for... Now, these are small things in life, but that would be my advice, that you have to really think, what about Pesach? What about Minhagim? What about Gibraltar? I don't know. There's so many things. Where are you sending your kids to camp? What type of school are you sending them? These things really have to be discussed, because if not, it could be very, very divisive. For a Lubavitcher, there may be certain values that are very precious to him. He may want secular people at his Shabbos table. His wife may say, I don't want ever a secular. I'm just giving an example. These things can become very divisive, right? He may want a certain type of school. She said, no, I don't want this school. And then it becomes big fights. So what, you don't need this. So you find out, we want to make sure that there is uh, an understanding of who you are, what's precious to you, right? How much is the Rebbe and Chabad going to play a, a role in the kid's life, in the Shabbos table? For you, it may be critical. For her, it may not be critical. She may not be against it. But these are all things that just have to be taken, I think, into consideration. It's very important. You don't want to get into a situation. You know what happens, Lahav, intermarriages. 
Goyim marry Jews. Jews marry Goyim. They do it in their 20s or their 30s. They don't think about their children. Suddenly, he wants the bar mitzvah his child, right? And she's like, we're, we're going to, you know, we're baptizing him. And they, they don't realize how important these things were. But later, it becomes so divisive. I don't mean to compare, but you get my point. I don't mean, I don't mean to compare. I'm just bringing you out to... Uh, Okay, I think my time is up, right? Welcome. <laughs> this class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.